Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that everybody made it out today. We're in part three of Christmas Cheer, our sermon series. And yes, this is a Christmas sweater. Um, where I mean, I, was, I love to greet everybody as they walked in and saw all the great Christmas, ugly Christmas sweaters. And so where if you're wondering, is that what Pastor normally wears? Oh, no, no, he doesn't. So I'm just joining in because I didn't want to be that guy. And so, uh, but yeah, I am a Giants fan. I'm from the Bay Area, so hey, that's why I'm, I'm not. But there's no baseball team out here, so I feel like I can get away with it. So anyway, uh, man, just so glad that everybody's out here. Everybody say Christmas cheer. Yeah, we're talking about having joy, and we found out really that God has a lot to say about joy inside of his word, and so we've been spending the last few weeks just talking about it, and we're going to um, wrap it up next week. And so in uh, week one, if you, haven't, if you haven't been here, I'll just kind of give you a little recap of what we talked about. Week one, we've been um, really opening up the book of Philippians and talking about really what Paul had to say about having joy in all circumstances. And part of it was we started in chapter one of Philippians, and we talked about week one that joy, to ha- we, we can really have joy in all things and everything, that joy is not found in our circumstances. It's really found in the purpose and in the presence of God. And then in week two, which was last weekend, we talked about how to have joy with others, that you and I are going to have to meet some people, or they're already here right now, or they might be sitting next to you that you never see but once a year, and you got to put on that crazy Christmas face that you try to really want to be Christian around them because you know you, you, there's a reason you only see them once a year in their family. And so we have to learn how to have joy with others, and uh, God had a lot to say about that. And really, we found that it's found having joy with others really is rooted in just having humility, that the humble... Uh, uh, really do a lot of different things. And so we talked about that last week. If you didn't, uh, you weren't here for that, I highly encourage you to go back to our website or if you don't follow us on our podcast, we put all of our, our messages up there. It was it was pretty good last week, if I do say so myself. <laughs> High five to myself. Anyway, so today uh, we are going to continue with part three and really have how to have joy with God. And then next week we're going to wrap it up on really how to have joy. It's going to be sound a little weird, but it's going to how to have joy with you. Because having joy with you sometimes is the hardest thing we can do in the holiday season. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Philippians chapter 3. It's going to be a little different today, uh, maybe than what you're normally used to. But Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And then if you have it, if you have it in your Bibles, if not, we're going to put it up on the screens. And then we also put it on Version Bible app. And so you can actually get our notes and uh, follow along with it. You can put your own notes and you can actually email it to you. And it's pretty cool. I would highly recommend that. It's a really neat way to follow along in Scripture. And so um, uh, we're going to kind of open that up. But before we do, uh, before we get there, let's pray. Father, we just love you, God. Thank you today, Lord, that we're here for you, that Christmas is is uh, really designed for us as Christians. Man, we just want to remember what you did, Jesus, and remember that you were born in this season. You are the reason for the season. And so, God, I pray that today, Lord, as we learn about having joy, we want to we want to be uh, mindful of the Holy Spirit. We want to know that, God, you're speaking to us. You're taking the words that I prepared, and you're planting them in our hearts, God. May we leave here different than the way we walked in, in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen, amen. Before we start reading scripture, I want to uh, ask you a question. How many of you in here uh, have ever been to a museum? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Have you been to a museum? Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, museums are interesting things because, you know, oftentimes you don't tend to go to a museum unless you're a little kid and you went on your like, school field trip and, or, you know, you go there because you like art. And there's all kinds of museums. You know, if you go to, I've, I've been to Washington, D.C., there's, you know, obviously the Smithsonian and there's uh, some famous museums, but there's other museums and they show models of planes and history of things and, and um, um but, but the particular museum that I went to, uh, probably, I would say maybe it's about eight years ago now, we were, uh, my wife and I, no, it had been more than eight years because we've been married longer than that, so maybe 15 years ago. It's been a long time ago. How about that? It was a long time ago, and uh, I'm from California, and in the Bay Area, we had a few museums out there and that, that did uh, really big art museums, and so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to uh, go because I'm going to be like a good, like, boy, I think I was a boyfriend at the time. I'm not sure if we were engaged, and, and, uh, but I wanted to be a good boyfriend. I wanted to take my wife to the museum. Now, I don't like the museum, but I knew my wife liked the museum, or my girlfriend at the 
the time, like the museum. And, you know, you want to sometimes, when you know when you're dating someone, you do all the things that you're never going to do when you get married. So you do it like that to get married, and then you forget all that. So anyway, but, like, I'm going to take her to go what she wanted to go do. So she wanted to go to the museum, and we get into the car, and we go to the museum. And it was, it was kind of interesting, because if you ever go to a museum, there's multiple types of people at a museum. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm very inquisitive. I'm always trying to find out what's going on. So I'm looking around at all these people. I'm a people watcher. I love the airport, so I like to just watch weird there's some weird people in the world. I'm just telling you. And so, like, I like watching them. Museums just like that. And so, there's all kinds of new people at the museum. The first kind of people are the people that kind of, you know, they're there for maybe a class field trip. They're there for, you know, just uh, they're there to be a monitor. How many of y'all moms or dads out there been like a monitor on a class field trip? Like, it's like torture, right? It's terrible. And so, there, I saw those types of people there. There those types. There were some guys like me. You know, they were out there. There was the guys following the 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 lady around as she was looking at all the art. And there's those types of people. Then there was the there was this unique breed of people that I like to call the art connoisseur, okay? These are the people that they go to the museum on a regular basis, and they know what they're looking for, and they know how to look at things. And you can tell them they look differently. I don't want to tell you, if you ever, if you, I'm going to give you an idea. I'm going to give you how to spot the museum connoisseur. They look like this. They stand in front of the painting, right? There's this guy. I was looking at this guy, and this is a museum connoisseur, and I'm like confused because he was standing in front of the painting. He has a, he has a way. They, they have a way of stand, they have a stance. So they kind of they look like this, right? And if you're listening to podcasts, that's why you need to come to church so you can see. But anyway, so... You're, <laughs> He, he has his hand on his, on his chin, right? And then, he's, and then they have a scowl because they kind of squint their eyes. And then they just stare and look at the painting and just stare. And so I was, I was curious. I'm a curious person. I don't know if you're a curious person. I'm a curious person. So I said, like, hey, you know, I'm just going to ask what this guy's looking at because it looks like nothing to me. So this is a painting. So, so I'm like walking up to him. I go, I go so I kind of, I did the thing because guys, you and I don't say hi to each other, right? We don't, we don't do that. We're not hi guys. We, what we do is we, we do like visual cues. So I walked up next to him and I was like, you know, kind of like, yo, sup, you know, sup. And so he kind of did the sup thing to me, and we sup together, so sup. All right, and so we're standing there looking at the thing, and I'm like, I'm, look, I'm looking, and he's just staring at it. And he's so, like, deep into his thought of the painting. I'm like, what is this dude looking at? So I thought, hey, I'm going to ask what he's looking at. So I like, hey, hey, man, what, what are you looking at? And he goes, do you see it? And I was like, no, what are you, what are you looking at? He goes, do you see it? The colors with the way that they, they painted the strokes of the brushes and how the paint intersected with the light and the dark. And then it was on the painting and you could tell he was angry and you could tell when he was happy on this side of the painting. And then he used this certain types of oils and it connected with the canvas with the unis the like intersection of light and dark and evil and good and i'm looking at this dude i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> it's just a painting you know and i was i was confused why why was i confused because this guy had studied the 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 the, the painter and the you know this artist who took time to to paint this what would seem to be shapes and colors and paint onto this painting, and he knew what he was looking at because this guy had studied it. He was looking, and he, he was seeing it. And what I realized was this, that how he saw it determined what he got from it. See, I saw that painting as just a bunch of colors on the painting. It really wasn't that valuable to me. And I treated it as wasn't that valuable to me. But that guy, I'm telling you, he must have stood there because I, I, I saw him when I walked in. I walked around that entire museum. I came back, and he was still staring. He was writing stuff in his notebook. And I'm like, what are you writing down, man? 
It ain't nothing. It's abstract paint. It ain't don't mean nothing. But he saw something different, right? He saw it differently than I saw it, which means he experienced it differently than, than I had experienced it. And Paul is writing inside this letter to the church at Philippi. Remember, this is a letter. So if, you, if you're new to Christianity or maybe you've never opened up the Bible, Philippians is a book in the Bible that was a letter in the New Testament written to a church that he planted in a city called Philippi. Philippi to Philippians, right? Philippians, okay, that makes sense. So, so he's writing to them. And at this point in time, Paul had experienced and been through many things in his life. He was a certain type of a person and he saw his relationship, and specifically the rules and the ways to live of God a certain way, and therefore he experienced it differently than a lot had. And what he was finding out, here's what happened. Here's why he wrote chapter 3. This is why he wrote chapter 3, because he found out that there were some people coming into the church after he planted it trying to make it different than the way he planted it. They were trying to make get Christianity to be experienced in a different way than Paul had. And so Paul, he kind of takes a break, so you got to read the Bible to read the Bible. It's interesting. So once you know context, right? So Paul is, takes a break in chapter 3 because in the first two, he's like happy and he's celebrating and he's joyful and he's excited. And then in chapter 3, he starts to get a little angry. And this is why I like Paul because he has something to say because I got something to say. Y'all it's like, y'all make me mad. I got something to say. This is his kind of angry chapter inside of the book of Philippians. And so we're going to read it together and talking about joy. We're all going to be angry. It's going to be great. All right. Chapter, th- uh, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, we'll put up on the screen. It says, whatever happens, my dear brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and do it to safeguard your health. Safeguard there, the Greek word there, was, was the, uh, the same word we use for asphalt. What he was saying was, he was saying, I'm about to tell you something I've taught you before, because when I planted you, I told you about this, but I'm going to tell you again and again and again, because this is what you need to build your life upon. So that's important. So Paul is highlighting this and going, hey, remember this. If you forget, he's kind of saying, if you forget it all, remember this part. Build your life on this set of scriptures I'm about to tell you. So it's like, look, look, listen, listen. Y'all have kids, right? Like, like, pay attention. Look, look, listen, listen. Come on. This is what he's saying. All right. So verse two, he says, watch out for those dogs. This is, <laughs> Paul, what are you talking about? You're getting crazy because you, you know, you're calling people names. All right. So watch out for those dogs, those, those who do evil, those mutilators. I'm like, what in the world? Paul, you went from happy and joyful and Christmas cheer, and it's all sweet little nine pound, eight pound, eight ounce, baby, sweet little tiny squishy baby Jesus. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, let's be happy in the season. And he goes, watch out for those people who mutilate, who say that you must be circumcised to be saved. Okay, Paul. And then Paul goes, for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Now, so pause. We're just going to pause. Okay, We're actually going to do an old-fashioned Bible study today. Is that cool? Is that all right with you? It's okay. I got the mic, so we're going to do it anyway. So anyway, so, so what he's saying is he's, he's, he's highlights these groups of people, because remember I told you there were some people who would come up behind him, and he, he called them dogs, and they, the, the people he was calling dogs were the people who would use the word dogs for Gentiles or for those who, who were not Jewish people. So there was, there was a group of people called the Jews, Judaizers. They would come in after Paul, would plant the church, and what their Goal, their goal was, and it was mixed up of Jewish people by birth or by blood, or there were some Gentile people who just believed this way and taught this. Judaizers would come in behind Paul and they would say, hey, in order for you to be saved, you can't just give your life to Jesus. You got to become Jewish based on the Jewish law and Jewish custom, and you need to follow all the rituals and rules. And one of the things that they got caught up on, which you and I would get 
caught up on was this idea of circumcision. Now, you have to think about this. Remember, this is a letter. We get the Bible in chapter and verse, and it's all nice and neat, and it's in this cool leather bind, and we're like, yay, we get to read it. But remember, this was a letter he was writing to them to watch out for them. Now, why would, why would Paul have to say, watch out for them? Well, you and I, this makes sense to us, because it would be like me saying this. Hey, at the end of the service, I would say, hey, who wants to give their life to Jesus? Raise your hand. You raise your hand. Good. You sound good. Text Jesus to that number. All right. Hey, all the guys who just gave uh, their life to Jesus, go ahead and make a line. I got a knife, and we're just going to go at it. You say you love Jesus? Prove it. Let's go. That's what was happening in the church. And so they would come up behind him and say, Paul, you can't just say that it can't just be, it can't be that easy, Paul. It can't be that easy. It can't be that you just trust in the saving grace of Jesus. You got to do more than that. You got to be Jewish. And so if you, in order to be Jewish, there's really one main way for a guy to be Jewish. So let's come on. Let's make it happen. That's probably the easiest way we can cut down on the men's ministry inside the church. Be quick. It'd be quick. I wouldn't even be a part of it. I'd be like, sorry, I ain't got to go sell shoes at finish line. I can't do that. <laughs> and so they would get in this m- moment where they would struggle with this. Now, why is he calling them out? Now, again, you got to know context. Okay? Paul was coming out of uh, just a season of life. Now, remember, the church is new. The church, the church that we know of is new. Jesus dies. He comes. He lives a sinless life. He does amazing life. He actually lives. He dies. He gets beaten. He dies. Then, then, then he gets resurrected. Incredible thing that only, that, that only Jesus does. Jesus resurrects, he leaves, and then he leaves the local church in charge with with his followers, and his followers are starting off this church. Now, they're trying to establish things. They're like, what does this church look like? Like, how how do people come to Christ, and how do we do this? Like, in a structured, organized church way, how do they do that? So what you realize is you can actually go back and look. I highly encourage you to do this. Go to, um, there's a book in the Bible called Acts. If you go to Acts, it gives like the early act, act. You want to know what's called called Acts? It's called Acts because it gives and highlights history of the early church, like what happened in the first part of the church. And when Jesus established the church, from Acts one, chapter one through chapter eight, the 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 New Testament believers in the new church go out to really reach the Jewish people. They go after to convert Jews. They want to get the Jewish people to follow the Jesus as the true Messiah. Then in Acts chapter ten, you start to see them branch out from not just reaching Jews to reaching Samaritans. And what were Samaritans? Samaritans were made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And so the early church was struggling with that. They're like, oh, now can we reach people who are Gentiles or not Jewish by birth? So like, is that okay? And they're like, well, they're half Jewish. So that's okay. Let's just, I mean, they're in. But then in Acts chapter 10, you start to see, like from then on, you start to see this tension. Because then Paul and all these, like the disciples and James and all these guys are going around and they're starting to reach these weird people, these dogs that the Judaizers called them. They called them, they're, they're called Gentiles. You know who the Gentiles were? They're like, you and me. We're not Jewish. We didn't grow up in Jewish blood. We don't have Jewish backgrounds. And so they were reaching Gentile people when it was causing attention in the church. And so the Judaizers would come up behind them and say, you got to be saved. You got to be Jewish. So you got to follow all the laws, and and Judaizers primarily followed, the Jewish people followed the Mosaic law. So they're like saying, hey, we want you to follow this. And so they would get like in these weird moments. And so in Acts chapter 15, they have this thing called the Jerusalem Council where all the major church leaders come together, and they make a decision. And James even says this. This is kind of James, brother of Jesus, one of the disciples. He he follows up, and he gives his thoughts in Acts chapter 15, and I'm going to summarize their, their decision. He says, and so my judgment is that we should not, this is Acts chapter 15, verse 19. If you want, go back and look and study it. I entirely encourage you to do that. He said, we should not make it difficult for the who? 
the Gentiles, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So they decide at the Jerusalem council that, hey, from thenceforth, we are going to make it easy for Gentiles to come to Jesus. We recognize that the one thing, the only thing, everybody say only. This is so important because, listen, y'all want to know, like, just pause for the... For the you, you got to get this. If you're a new Christian, if you're an old Christian, if you, or you're somewhere in between, you have to understand this at the core of who you are because this affects how you see God and it affects how you see his rules. Because if you don't see it this way, you become a Judaizer in your own heart and you forget and you'll start to try to do things and discount the saving grace and work of Jesus Christ. So the early church establishes and reminds people the one thing that you need to be saved is to rest in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It's his works, not ours, that saves them. So they establish it, Acts chapter 15. So that's why he's saying, that's why Paul's writing in Philippians, which happens after Acts. Philippians, he, that's why he's saying, he's saying, listen, those dogs, watch out for the mutilators. Watch out for the people trying to cut all the dudes. Watch out for the dogs. He's taking a shot at them. Watch out for the evil people, the people who are trying to make it more than just the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? I thought you might want to know that. All right, anyway, so he says, watch out for them. Verse four, and he says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. This is so good, Paul. I'm like, Paul, I, I get what you're saying here. He goes, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'll tell you exactly what that means in a minute. A real Hebrew. <laughs> Paul is like, listen, I'm... I'm Jew. I'm a Hebrew. Let me just tell you. You want to talk about anybody? I'm a Hebrew. And he says, if there ever was one, I was a member of the Pharisees. He says, not only was I a Hebrew, not only, not only was I a tribe of all those, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law or Mosaic law or the Ten Commandments and then the things that came out of that. He says, I was so zealous that harsh, I harshly persecuted the church. And you'll find out later that Paul wound up killing Christians. Paul was, was, was a zealous. I mean, that's zealous. And he persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He said, so listen, there's a bunch of these people walking in talking about, I'm a super Christian. Let me tell you who's a super Christian. I am. Let me just tell you who's got, I got circumcised on the eighth day. Now, why does he say the eighth day? Because you know, they, they, they did that because that around the eighth day, the blood would coagulate enough for the boys to, so it not be, so it could actually be saved. That was kind of what he was saying. So he was saying, I got circumcised on the eighth day, just like that. I was a part of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Benjamite. Let me just tell you, like, and that was, and if you don't know, the reason he says that is because that was one of the tribes that lasted the longest. When it split and Judah and Benjamin were at the bottom, Judah and Benjamin stayed following Jehovah for as longer than any other tribe did before they all turned. He's saying, like, we're the, we're the truest form. So not only was I a good Hebrew, I was the best Hebrew of Hebrews. He was saying, I'm telling you, I was the man. And then I was so zealous, I persecuted everybody. He goes, in terms of this thing called the law, I followed it to the T. Now, for those of you who don't know what the law was, this is important. You need to understand this. Again, how you see God and how you see his rules will determine really what you experience from him, right? Because what we see determines how we experience it. So, so in terms of the law, what he was referencing was, was you know, obviously most of us, even in pop culture, if you're not a Christian, you know, there's the Ten Commandments, right? We all know that, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt, a bunch of the thou shalt nots, right? You think they're all thou shalt nots. That's why you think that if you're not a Christian in here and all you know about Jesus and Christianity is the thou shalt nots. You're like, oh man, I can't be 
become a Christian because once I do that, I can't do nothing. It's like, that ain't true. You don't, somebody, who told you that? They lied to you. And that's not true. And so, but anyway, so it's built up of the, of the Ten Commandments. The law was, uh, was, was, given to the, was given to Moses, right? Given to the children of Israel. And, and it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It actually wound up becoming 613 commandments and a little bit more than that. And they had not only those commandments, they wound up having 3,000 plus more oral traditions or historical traditions. Um, it broken down really for most of those. Um, the law wasn't just one type of law. There was, uh, the law was broken into uh, categories. There's a moral part of the law, moral lot of that law. We actually follow in, in, in the United States, you probably don't know that, but like a lot of the laws that we kind of come from, the, come from the moral laws that Jesus gave or that God gave, um, uh, they're, they're broken up into civil law. So there were some civil ways, how you do cities and, and how you do certain things. And what do we do with when you're governing people? And then they also had ceremonial laws. So you're talking about laws that pertain to how you connect to God and connect to the priest and how you did sacrifices and offerings and you had all of these things. So the law was very specific, but you got to remember the purpose of the law was to give to, was give to a nation who had no laws. So you have a big, gigantic group of people. Y'all remember, y'all seen the, the, the story where Moses walks in, you know, and y'all seen the movie, Charlton Heston walks in, he says that, what does he say? He says that famous line that Moses says to, let my, well, come on, y'all know, let my, yeah, let my people go. So they, so Pharaoh, after a bunch of issues happen, he winds up letting them go and they come out. You got to remember there was a nation of people who didn't have any established way of living. Now, to bring that to context, let's think about that for a minute. Imagine if America right now didn't have any laws. Some of you are like, well, that's basically how we live right now. No, that's not, not but like, just imagine there was no government. Imagine there was no representatives. Imagine there was no president. There was no, there was no legislature. There was no, there was, there was no um, uh, officers. There was no way of, no, none of them knew what you could do and should do, not just based on God, but just living together. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, does what? He sends them down some great ways to live. And out of the Ten Commandments come all of the rest of the law. And you know what? It worked for a season because it helped lawless people. In fact, the, 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 Paul goes on to say that the law was never bad. It was effective and it worked and it was designed for lawless people. Now, you and I know that that's a good thing because we like the law, not because we think we'll break it, but because we don't trust the crazy person who wants to break into our house, Right? We, we not necessarily like the speed limit sometimes, but we definitely like it when the crazy person's cutting people off and then the cop pulls them over. They have a law that they broke to get that dude off the street. So the law was never intended to be a bad thing, but it was just designed to actually help keep lawless people in. So he's saying, that law, I'm better at it you, than, than you are at it. And he, the law has some interesting examples. I'll just give you some. This is just stuff I want you to hear. You need to know this. This is important. This is, don't check out on this. This is good. It says, good. There's some, here's some examples of just parts of the law that I want you to just get. 613 and then 3,000. I just want to give you an idea of what, what they're talking about, what Judaizers are trying to do inside of the church. So he says this. He says, this is, a one, this is part of the law. This is an example. Always set the mother bird free before taking the eggs. Now, that's a pretty good idea, right? Like, because if you're a mama... If you're a mama bird and somebody's trying to take your eggs, you're probably going to start some trouble. So he said, you know, that's in the law. Try not to take the, set the mother bird free. Uh, another one is never take a bribe. Well, you know, that's probably, a good, that's probably a good idea. Here's some weird ones. The king shall never acquire an excess number of horses. Like, that's just weird. I don't understand what that means. Okay, but I got to follow that law. All right, that's a weird one. Uh, here's another one. Women. So ladies in here, if you, you couldn't look at a mirror on the Sabbath for fear of seeing a gray hair that you might pull it out. Like, I'm not kidding. That's in the law. 
So they're talking about that and they're saying all of these little things that you have to go through, all of these areas, all of this law, all of it, you have to follow it in order to be a Christian, but they forget the purpose behind it. Remember, I'm going to take you back to when the law was given. Before the law was given to Moses, the Bible says the Lord speaks and he says these words. You need to know this. this, this is, I'm, I'm, for some of you, this is, this is crazy because I'm reprogramming some, some religiosity in your life. I'm, I want to encourage you. This is, this is a good thing. Before the law was given, hear me. God says, I am the Lord, this is important, your God. Now, 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 you might not think that's a big deal, but that is a big deal. Because Moses in there would have been confused. He would have been like, wait, don't you mean the God? Don't you mean a God? I mean, back in that time, there were a lot of gods. And, and God says, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Before you make it for others, I need you to understand something. I am the Lord, your God. First you, first know this, I am yours and you are mine. We are in covenant. You are my people. We are family. You're already in. I have bought you. I have delivered you. You are mine. We're already in the family. So since you're mine, hey, listen, since you're mine, here's how you should live. Now, you might grow up in a church like I did, thinking, as long as I do all the rules that God's established, then I can become his, thank God. As long as I'm righteous, I can walk through the church doors. I've, had, I've been kicked out of churches before. I, I walk into a church, and I, I didn't have the hair on my face at the length I needed it to, and they asked me to leave. And you would think, well, no, that's Old Testament. No, that's very real now. There are churches who teach in their good nature, and I don't think it's bad. I don't think they have a, they're not trying to be ugly about it. But before they knew it, they became Judaizers and forgot that it wasn't in the, it's always been in the saving grace of Jesus, not in how good you can be. That even before the law was established, remember, the law was not established as a condition of relationship. It was established as a confirmation of relationship. Hey, just so you know, you're with me and this is how you live. Now, this makes sense to us because if you have a family in here, you have family rules, don't you? I have rules with my kids. I have to have rules with my kids. My kids are, are they're, they're good kids, but they're kids. But they're mine. So we have a certain rule. The other day, um, a few years back, we were having a, a party, and um, there was a bunch of kids over, and we were, you know, eating food. And because every party I have, there's food. Amen. Right. And so we were eating food in the kitchen, and kids were outside because that's where they should be. Anyway, so kids are over there, and they're playing with their friends. And so somebody runs in, and they said, uh, uh, "Pastor Aaron, Pastor Aaron." There's a little girl, you know. She, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Aaron. Uh, Kellen is peeing. So anytime a kid comes in and screams that your kid's peeing, it's bad. There's no good. Like, oh, great. <laughs> Proud of him. <laughs> awesome. So I'm like, oh, man. You know, so you have that embarrassed look, and you try to act, like, patient and calm. And I'm like a pastor, so I'm, like, trying to be nice. I'm like, oh, he must be doing something silly. And under my breath, I'm like, I'm, that kid is not going to be here at tonight. I'm just telling you. <laughs> we're getting rid of him. We're sending him off. And so I'm walking outside. And sure enough, he's, like, peeing in the middle of this thing. And he's, like, spinning in a circle, peeing. <laughs> And there's people around, and I'm just like, 
so I walk up to him and I pull his pants up and I take him inside and I walk him in because my wife's trying to walk me through this like son you know when you are honey when you you know you discipline the boys you got to talk to them you got to walk them through it and I'm like no I just want to discipline and so she's like no you need to talk them through I'm like, okay so I take him inside and I ask him this question I said son I said why did you do that like why did you pee in the middle of the y- y'all are looking at me like I'm the only person is that anybody happened to you oh please say it's not okay okay anyway She's like, no, I have girls. Girls don't do that. No, well, boys do that. So, so it's not the only time. I got another story. Anyway, so, so, so I bring him in, and I'm talking to him. I'm like, so why did you do that? And he goes, well, Daddy, I was playing. I was having fun, and I, I didn't want to go inside. Now, to a five-year-old, I think it was five at the time, that makes sense. Like, yeah, I'm playing. I don't want to go inside. I got to go inside. I got to wash my hands. I got to flush the toilet. I got to do all that, and I lose all my fun. So I get it. To him, that made sense. So at that moment, what did I do? I said, son, I love you. I do but we don't pee in the yard. We don't pee in the yard. And he goes, oh, okay, okay, uh, yes, daddy. I said, okay, so if you pee in the yard, we're going to have problems, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yes, daddy, okay. So what's our rule? We don't pee in the yard, daddy. I said, okay, okay, go have fun. So we run right, right now. Now listen, here, here's the funny thing. I don't have rules for your kids. Now why? Because they're not my kids. I don't, my family rules don't pertain to your family. Why, why, why not? Because you're not in my family. You make rules for your family. And we get that with our own family, except we don't get that with the family of God. We think that God will only allow us into his family as soon as you do all the rules. Hey, make sure you're good. Hey, did you do what the Bible said? Hey, you think like God's waiting and he's like examining you all the time. He's like, just waiting for you to sin. Like, I just, I, I wish you would sin. Just what, come, just give me a chance. Give me a reason to send a lightning bolt right now. I will pop your tire with a nail. If you do something, don't think like that. that that's how we think. We think God's waiting with a lightning bolt, waiting for us to break one of the 613 plus 3,000 other oral tradition commandments that God put down, which were the best ways to live, but you think they're conditions of relationship and getting having a relationship with him, and they weren't. And God actually goes out of his way to say, you're already mine, so here are the rules, live this way. So if you want, so what Paul's saying is he says, if you want to have joy with God, you better trust in the saving grace of Jesus. If you want to have joy in your relationship, listen, because some of you in here don't come to church unless you, you write in your mind. Well, I can't go to church yet. I'm not right. I'm not right. I'll see, see people in the stores and stuff. Hey, pastor, man of God, where have you been? You know, I'm just not doing good right now, pastor. I'm just not doing good. I'm just not doing good. You know, I'm just, I'm not doing what I should. I'm not doing what I should. Some of you listening right now in the podcast, you're sitting at home and you're, you, you, the reason you didn't come, I'm not good. I'm not, I'm, I'm confused. Ain't none of us good in here. Ain't none of us good in here. We, we came because we ain't good. So, so Paul goes on to say, I'm the best law keeper ever. You ain't nobody when it comes to that. So verse 7, we're only on verse 7. We're having a good time today. We're almost done. All right, so anyway, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything that is worthless when compared to the infinite value of what? Of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else. Counting it all as garbage, that's important. We'll come back to that so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count. If you missed all of it, this is the point. You want to have joy in your life with God, this is how you have to live. I no longer count on my righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, rather, 
Instead, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. He uses the word uh, garbage there. And so what you don't know is this is his most angry part of the letter. He uses the Greek word skubula, which was like the grossest word, the most vile word they could use to, to describe... Um, well, I'm in church in here and trying to figure out what the best word to say. Uh, p- uh, p- uh, uh, poo? Can I say poo in church? Poo? That's what he was saying. He was saying, it's poo. It's like, and he was trying to be vulgar. He was trying to catch their attention. He was saying, your works and your ability to keep the law has nothing to do with your righteousness. God's saving grace through Jesus Christ is your righteousness, period. And so every time, listen, listen, why is this important? Why is this important? Because every time you live legalistic or live in a legalistic lifestyle, which legalism is simply this, it's rules replaced with relationship. It's rules replacing relationship. It's what you thought, what God intended to be designed in relationship. You have now substituted it for rules and checking off all the religious boxes. And I went to church and I said, yes, I'm a Christian on Facebook. And I said, bless the Lord, oh my soul this morning. And I said my one, two, three, prayer. And as soon as I did that, now I'm righteous. And God's saying all of those things through Paul, he's trying to convince you and get you to understand, stop discounting the work of Jesus. He lived the sinless life. He was perfect. He was amazing. He is your righteousness. Stop trying to put your works on, put Jesus on, which is infinitely harder because you would think following the law is easier. It's not, it's, it's, it's harder. It's not. Because here's why. Here's how I know this. You know this and I know this. Because you know people who act so stinking Christian all day long while they're in church and then go outside in the parking lot and flip people off and act like the world. And so Paul's saying, it's trash. It's garbage. Scubula. Poo. (laughs) So there's no joy in it. He says, here's why. Here's why. Here's the whole thesis. Here's where it comes to the end. He says, at the end of the day, and we all have different personalities. How many in here would say, I'm a good rule keeper? Raise your hand. If you're like, I'm the rule keeper. I, rules were made to be followed. Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Like you mean it. You believe it. Come on. See, you all rules keepers. You're like, no, you can't raise your hand in church. That's a rule. No, raise your hand. That's okay. <laughs> How many of you feel like rules are meant to be broken? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, awesome, yeah. Oh, yeah. The rebellious one's always got something to say. Yeah! Rules, bad. He says, either way, no matter who you are, whether you're good at keeping the rules or you're bad at keeping the rules, you're in trouble. He says, you're in trouble. He said, because he says, like, if if you're really good at keeping the rules... Going to church and following the Bible and doing all the things God says might come easy to you. And he says, honestly, he goes, if you get like that and your relationship with Jesus is based on how you follow the rules and you actually might be good at it, guess what happens? You become pride, arrogant, and self-sufficient. Because you don't need this God. You don't need Jesus. You got you. There ain't no room for Jesus when you got you. He says, on the flip side of it, if you're really bad at keeping the rules and you become shamed, discouraged, disheartened, and depressed, Like, well, there's no point. I can't keep the rules. I might as well just go be a sinner. Quote, unquote. I might as well go do it. Either way, you lose. Paul's saying there's no win. Either way, you discount the saving grace of God. So what's the win? So so Paul goes, okay, so listen. You think you're good. 
I got you beat. I'm a better rule keeper than you are. All that's trash. Here's the point. He said, verse 10, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, and I want to suffer with him, sharing his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from dead. Um, you know, Paul outlines the meaning of life. Anybody ever ask that question? Like, what's the meaning of life? Like, why am I here? This is why you're here. This is you and your whole life. Because you don't know this. Um, I do because I study the Bible, but that's God's way of discipling people. It's God's way of giving you purpose in your pain, giving you purpose in your life. He says everybody's purpose, meaning of life, is to know him, to know Christ. Not just to know about him. A lot of people know about him. The Bible even says demons know about him. So if you know about God, you ain't no better than a demon. Isn't that weird? Is that too much? Christmas, I love you, hug. But, but it's not knowing about God. Everybody knows about God. Everybody's a Christian nowadays. You watch like award shows, you know, like rappers get up there. They talk about like shooting people and like slapping their girl. And they're like, oh, I just give a love and savior to Jesus Christ. What? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? He must know about God. He must know about God. But to know him is to be found in his presence, to found in his purpose, to found in who he is, be with God. What, a, what, a, what an amazing way to live, to know that I can live a life with God, not for him. Not, not for, I, over me. God, you're over me. God's not over you. God's with you. God wants to be with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. So it's knowing God. Second part of the meaning of life, his power, the power of his resurrection, the power of, that raised him from the dead, the power to bring dead things to life, that if God can do, listen, listen, listen. Just hear me, okay? If you're not a Christian here, especially. Even, even, just give me the New Testament with Jesus raising from the dead. If he could do that, he can do anything. Well, listen, listen, just listen. Like if, if he could do that, which by the way separates him from every other God and religion in the world. A lot of gods and religions say, well, oh man, there was a great guy who lived and taught and did a lot of things and was great and did some healings and did some stuff. Man, all there's a lot of religions that say about that, but none of them proclaim to say he died and then he rose again. Amen. So, so if, if Jesus rose again, there's nothing in your life that is dead that will stay, that can stay dead. So somebody might have spoken a death thing over your life. And you're like, man, I don't know if I'll ever be that or I'll ever do that or it'll ever get better or it'll ever, you're, you're wrong. In Christ, the power of his resurrection, anything can happen. So to have joy with God is to know, God, I'm just resting you knowing that I'm not living from you, I'm going to live with you, and I'm going to live, and I'm, I'm not doing the rules so you can love me. You already love me, therefore I do the rules. I live your way because you love me that much, and you sacrifice that much, and you want the best things for me. You are a heavenly father. You're a good daddy. And so I want to do that that way, and so inside of that, nothing that's dead in my life needs to stay dead. And the third is this, is, is really the, to suffer well is to suffer well. He said to, to fellowship, to suffer with him. I want to suffer with him, which really means just to suffer like him, to suffer like Jesus suffered well. And that knowing, here's why. Here's why he did that. He knew his suffering had a purpose. You and I need to know in our heart to have joy with God. There's something going on in your life right now. 
You don't even have to think about it. You know what it is. Whatever you're going through, whatever pain you're going through, if you are a Christian and God's in you, you need to know this, it has a purpose. If God allowed it, it has a purpose. That God can redeem it. Remember, he can raise dead things to life. So if some things are slowly dying in your life, suffer well. Come on, you are not the world. If something's going on in your life, do not get on Facebook and cry and whine and complain like you ain't got no purpose in life. People are looking at you. You said you were a Christian and then something bad happens and you act like the world. It don't work like that. Suffer well. Come on, I'm just, borrow my faith. I want to encourage you. This is a, an encouraging message. Pastor, I don't know about that. I feel kind of weird. I'm telling you, suffer well. Suffer like Jesus. Jesus had all his suffering had a purpose. Your suffering has a purpose in Christ. In Christ. And I'm going to end with this. Man, that's good. Amen. All right. Um, I I had a, uh, I grew up in California, but I grew up in kind of the hills of California, and there's a lot of farmland in California. And when I lived there uh, in that particular area, we had a small farm. And it wasn't a, like, you know, we didn't have like a thousand cows or anything like that, but we had, you know, we had a cow, we had a couple of chickens, we had a, a, a ram and a few horses, and, you know, we were just kind of slowly building up our, our, uh, our farm. And um, one day I, I decided, I was like, hey, Dad, I want to go buy a goat. I had saved up my money, I want to go buy a goat. And, and I don't know why I wanted a goat, but I did. And so I wanted to buy a goat to add to the farm. And he said, okay. So he took me down we, to a place to buy the goat. And, and I put my money down. I saw this goat. I'm like, that goat. I want that goat right there. That's my goat. And she came out. I put her in the truck, you know, or however we got her there. I think it was like a little trailer or whatever. And, uh, and I bought that goat. I love that goat. And I named that goat Godine. It's a weird name. I don't know why I named her that, but that's, that's what I named her. And I brought Godine home and loved that goat and um, named her, I fed her, took care of her. And I realized when I brought her home that you know, our land was so big, she needed her own space because every time that she kind of went out into the space in the land, she would get hurt. So I put this little fence around her, made this little mini fence for this goat. And, and inside the fence, there was food, there was her water. She was protected from any other animals that could kind of come in. And what was funny about that goat is she loved to jump. Goats jump. I don't know if you know that or not. If you all had a goat before in your life, they jump and they're kind of ornery and they eat everything and they're mean. And I don't know why I wanted a goat, to be honest with you. So anyway, kind of like, like a cat. But anyway, so, you know, uh, I lost half the cat people. All right, I'm sorry. But I put, so I put Godine in this fence. And she would jump out. And every time she jumped out, she got hurt. She'd fall into some hole or she'd get into it with the neighbor's animals or she would go irritate the sheep. And she would just, she was just, she was wild out, out of the fence. But in the fence, she was protected. Now, I have a question for you. When was that goat my goat? When when. When, when, did, when did that goat become my goat? That goat was my goat when I bought that goat at the place to buy the goat at the store. That goat was mine when I bought it. It wasn't mine when I put her in the fence to protect her. That goat wasn't mine when she ran off. 
That goat wasn't mine when I made sure she stayed in the fence and I tied her down because I wanted to protect her and make sure she... That goat, was the goat, that goat was mine when I bought her. And you know what? She wasn't less mine when she jumped out of the fence. As a matter of fact, she wasn't less valuable when she jumped out of the fence. Honestly, she was even more valuable to me. My attention was much more on her because she was gone. And some of us in here think God's like that. It's like, God, well, as long as I'm in your fence, you must care about me. As long as I'm doing your world and doing your ways and doing your rules, you must love me when I'm doing that. But when I'm out of that fence, I'm, you must just think I'm trash and dirt. I just, you must think that I just... But when I come back in your fence, we'll be good again, God. <laughs> we'll be good again. As silly as it was for me to think that Godine was no more valuable jumping out of the fence, she's always mine. She's all, there's nothing that goat could do to make her not mine. She can't do anything. She couldn't say something. She couldn't do something. She couldn't run away. As a matter of fact, when she's lost, I dropped everything to go find that goat. You need to know this, that God thinks of you in those terms, and you are more valuable than a goat. You were created in the image and likeness of our Heavenly Father. You were created to be valuable. You were, you were, your value didn't come from you doing the rules. Your value came because you were bought with a price that you couldn't pay. There was nothing you could do to save yourself. And so God in his infinite wisdom came and sent Jesus 2,000 years before you were even born. And he said, listen, I'm so good. That before you do all the evil, crazy things and jump all the fences that you can, I'm going to send the Savior to cover all of it. And it don't make no sense, and you don't deserve it, and that's why it's called grace, because it's unearned, unmerited favor, and you'll never be good with God if you think that you build it based on what you do. But you're always good with God if you just rest in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. 